Cool. Well, if you have a Bible, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. You guys have been blessed, huh, with the different teachers that I've taught um, the last couple of weeks. So what a, uh, an awesome church I, I get to be a part of and get to see the work that God is doing. Uh, great studies, just in case if you haven't heard them, I encourage you to check them out online. Um, but uh, today we're going to be in Ephesians 2, and I'm going to teach sit, sitting down. Is that okay if I do that? You know, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus taught sitting down, so I'm going to just follow my Lord. <laughs> no. Um, my knee is a lot better. Thank you for your prayers. Don't stop praying. But if I had to guess right now, I would say it's about 95%, 94%, right around there. And so it's almost 100%. Thank God for that. But today we have a really cool study that, um, and this is not the main point, but inclusive within our study is the only answer to all racism. I and mean, we've been hearing a lot about uh, anti-Semitism on the news, huh, you guys? You've been hearing about that. We've gone through a season uh, where there is a mantra of Black Lives Matter. You know, we've seen the genocides that have taken place in, in such locations as Rwanda. Um, and it's still very much alive and well today. And so one of the things that we're going to see today is that there was a huge, huge racist issue between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews and the Gentiles had such a big thing that we're going to see today, they would not even eat with each other. They were going to see some of the crazy things that separated them. And we're going to find in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, what I believe are the keys to the answer uh, uh, to racism. And really any division, any division, you guys, you might be here and you're divided with your spouse. You might be here today and you're divided with your children or parents. You might be here today and you're divided with your siblings. I was thinking about that because I love my kids. And the last thing in the world I would want is for my children to be divided. And so we have to take to heart what we're reading today and perhaps God can use it to, to unite us to unite those marriages, to unite those families, to unite our church and to make us stronger than we've ever been. Because I really believe that as the enemy kind of does these little divisions and things and separations, it weakens us. But if we are divided, then we will find the, the loss, we will find the defeat, and if we are united, we will find victory. And so we're going to see that as part of our study today. But, but look at the outline I have for you guys. I want to share it with you real quick. In verses 11 through 12, you're going to see how far we were then. As Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and, and they were so far from God, how they needed to remember, and how they were far from each other. Sometimes the reason we're bad is because we have a bad memory. We need to remember, man, what God has done for us, and that'll help us today in our walk. But then secondly, we're going to go through verses 13 through 22, and we're going to see how close we are now. How many of you guys, just out of curiosity, how many of you are Christians? If you're Christians, raise your hand, okay? All right, so that means, man, that you were so far, but now you are so close, that you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. 
Think about that. 27 times in the book of Ephesians, he says you're in Christ. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. And then today we're going to see that he's in us. And you're like, what do you mean? How can that be you're in Christ and he's in you? How does that work? Well, it's deeper than we could possibly comprehend. I know that for sure. But I was thinking about this, how my wife is in my heart and how I, I know this, I'm in her heart too. Huh, babe? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of how it is, you guys. We are in him and he is in us. That's how close we are. And we're going to see it was by Calvary. It was through the blood. We're going to see it's for unity, how important that is. We're going to see in country. And, and what that means is that, you know, even though we haven't replaced Israel, we are in that nation, that theocracy that was governed by God. Now we are in that nation and we are citizens. We are citizens of Zion. We are citizens of Jerusalem. I was thinking about my brother Peter. You know, he teaches the Spanish ministry. He went to Mexico and how recently he became a citizen of the United States of America, right? And he did all that he had to do to become a citizen. And how awesome that is, right? But isn't it cool that we're citizens of Zion? We're citizens of heaven? This is what we're talking about. This Realize how close we are, Calvary, unity, country. We're family. We're family. You might not know all these people here, but I'll tell you what, if they're your brother or your sister, you know, we're family. We got to know this. We got to see how it happens through ministry. And then the last point there is that it's in residency. And what that means is that you know, God lives in us as a church, but God lives in us as individuals as well. We're a building that God lives in. And so I pray that we would see that here in Ephesians chapter 2. And so I'm going to read to you, starting in verse 11, Ephesians 2. It says, Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, Paul here wants the Ephesians to remember uh, where they came from. We, we saw that kind of earlier in the chapter, how he talks about how at one time we were on that slippery slope without hope, headed to hell, but God saved us. Now he's kind of saying something similar, but in this case, we've got to remember, here's the thing that's so important. Before you go to Almani, you've got to go to Ephesus. And that's the way we need to start understanding the Bible. Take it in context. Paul is writing to the church of Gentiles in Ephesus. And he's telling them, remember, man, you were far. You were far from God. You were dead in your sins. You know, the Ephesians, they worship this goddess Diana, also known as Artemis. And they had this huge temple. And it was uh, the draw. It was the attraction. It was what everybody did. It was part of the prostitution rituals, sacred ceremonies, man, and everybody was there. They were so far from God. All the perverted things you can think of was what they practiced. 
They were so far. And, but now he's telling them, you know, you guys were so far. Remember that. Um, that, you know, but now, in verse 13, notice, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting here how he says that they were called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. And so, you know, you go back to Genesis chapter 17, and that's where God instituted the covenant with uh, Abraham, and then it would follow through the Jews that the sign of the covenant was circumcision. It was the cutting away of the flesh. And so this is what separated them from everyone else, that they had entered into this covenant with the Lord Jehovah Yahweh God through the sign of circumcision. And so he's telling the Ephesians, he says, remember, at one time you were completely outside the covenant. You were lost. Uh, You were without the covenant of Abraham, the covenant of uh, David, you know, no promise of the Messiah for you. You would never even think about the fact that a Savior was coming. You know, something really interesting, just as a quick side note, you look at the world today, we Christians, we know Jesus is coming. We know that uh, our king is on his way to save the world and to rule the world in righteousness. You guys ever think about the fact that we have that solid hope and the world doesn't? The world doesn't have that. They don't have the concept of Jesus Christ coming, ruling from Jerusalem for a thousand years in the millennial kingdom, and then wrapping it up with heaven. Think about that. We have that. Now we do, but before we didn't. And that's what he's saying right here, that they were without Christ, that they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so, you know, for them, as Paul's writing to the Ephesians, he's telling them that you were far from God, but you were also far from each other. There were the Jews, and there were the Gentiles. And let me tell you something. It was way worse than the Bloods and the Crips. It was way worse than the Hatfield, the Hatfields and the McCoys. I'm telling you, man, it was so bad that, check this out, if a Jewish woman was about, I mean, sorry, if a Gentile woman was about to give birth, and you, a Jewish person, saw them about to give birth, you were forbidden by the law to help them give birth, lest you be a partaker in bringing a Gentile into the world. That's how much they hated each other. You know, it's crazy when a Jew would go into Gentile uh, country, let's just say he had to go on business. When he would leave the country, you know what he would do? He would dust himself off to make sure that he didn't bring any of that Gentile, non-Jewish dust into his territory. Remember, Jesus said, you Pharisees, you strain at a gnat. You strain at a gnat. I don't know if you guys ever had like a little bug or a little gnat, you know, fall into your coffee or something. I mean, we just drink it anyways, right? It's no big deal. It's protein, right? But man, the Jews, you know what? They would strain at a gnat. You want to know the real reason? The real reason was because they were worried that that gnat may have sucked some blood off a Gentile 
And the last thing in the world is they want, what they want is any Gentile blood inside of them. I mean, it was so bad that uh, they would not eat with each other. And sometimes you even have it to where the rabbis taught that the only reason these Gentiles were created, the only reason these non-Jews existed was to fuel the fires of hell. That's how bad it was. And God healed that. God healed that hostility. God healed that hatred. God healed that racism. You know, it's interesting to me, you even read in the book of Genesis, you know, Joseph at first, you know, the Bible says he couldn't eat with his brothers. He was pretending to be an Egyptian because the Egyptians wouldn't eat with the Jews. See, it wasn't just anti you know, Semitism, that was part of it. It was both ways. It was all around. This is the way it was. And Paul here says, remember, that's, that's how it was, that, that you guys, you know, we, you were far from God. You were far from each other. But what we find is that the Lord has done this work, that at that time you were without Christ, verse 12, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But here it is. But, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. And, and what we find is that God's part was placing our sins on Christ, who paid the price and died for us. And as he placed our sins on Christ, now when you place your faith in Jesus, you are now in Christ. And, and you know, all I know is that, you know, we were far. We were far. And we must never forget it. You know, maybe you're here today and you're a Christian and you're cool and things are fine. But maybe you're here today and you feel like you're far away from God. There might be just one person here today and you feel so far from God. You feel so far. The Lord here says, well, yeah, but what I can do is I can bring you near. I can bring you near me. Like I said before, you can be in Christ and he can be in you. It doesn't get any nearer than that. And what I found in life is that's really the key to everything. And the way that it happens is that we understand that the Lord Jesus Christ died for us on the cross. He rose again. It's by his blood that we're brought near. You know, if you're here and you're not a believer, let me just ask you a question. How is your life, how do you feel so far? So far from God. God doesn't want that. God wants to bring you near. You know, the Bible talks about that even when you do become a Christian, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you, James 4, 8. Psalm 73, 28, it is good for me to draw near to God. See, we have to have that heart to be near. And even if you're here and you feel far, I love what it says in Acts 2.39, for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. You know, how does he bring us near? How does he 
you know, overcome racism? How does that happen? Well, it says right there, and we're going to have to expand upon it. We're going to have to elaborate on it. It's by the blood. It's by the blood. I remember one time they told Billy Graham, don't talk about the blood. You know, because it sounds a, a little, I don't know, people might not be able to handle it. Billy Graham, though, he thought about it, but not for too long. For him, it, was, it wasn't a hard decision. No, I got to talk about the blood. The blood. And you're like, well, Manny, why the blood? Why the blood? Well, two things. Number one, because he, he, he proves his love for you. He proves his love for you in that he was nailed to a cross. He was scourged with a can of nine tails. He was crowned with thorns. He was beaten. He was bludgeoned. He was a bloody mess so much that you couldn't even recognize him as a man. He looked like a piece of meat on Calvary. Why? Because he loves you. The blood. The blood shows his love. But not only that, you want to know what else the blood does? When I think about the blood, I think about, wow, there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood of Christ to wash away our sin. No matter what you've done, no matter what they've done, you can go up to that gang member on the streets. You can go up to the murderer on death row. You can approach anyone with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no sin that's too dark or deep that his blood won't wash away. And that's what God has done for us. It's by his blood that, that we're saved. You know, the Ephesians were so far away, but God brought them near. I was thinking about how um, years ago, there was uh, some missionaries that went to Cambodia, and they went to a little village called Prevang. And so um, this village is remote. It's, you know, we're talking about, about as poor. One of the poorest places in the world, in the whole world. And so these missionaries went there, and they preached the blood. They preached the gospel. And these people there in Cambodia, they had zero knowledge of God, zero knowledge of Jesus. They had their faith in, in Buddha, but as far as Jesus goes, oh, no, there was no understanding. They had not heard of him. And you want to know what happened? All of them got saved. They preached the gospel, zero knowledge, so far. And all of them got saved. And it was just so cool because the next year, we got to go. That was our first year going as a church. And it was just so cool to see, man, the church, literally building a church for these people who had been so far and now they were so near, so on fire for Jesus that they brought conviction to us. You see, that's what God can do. And that's what the blood does. You see, we were brought near by Calvary and we were brought near for unity. Look at, at verse 14. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, speaking of Jew and Gentile, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. You know, the thing I love about this, you guys, and even for me as a pastor, I got to be so careful that I don't, you know, mistake religion or ministry or church 
for Jesus. See, it's the person of Jesus Christ that not only gives peace, but, but is peace. And he is the one that heals racism. He is the one that breaks down that middle wall of separation. And what ends up happening is just so amazing. God puts love in your heart, and man, you love uh, all colors. And you begin to love, really, all people. You know, I want to show you guys something real quick. In the temple, there were different sections. And I want to give you guys this illustration. Some of you guys are aware of it already. But in the Old Testament, they built Solomon's temple. And so this was under the divine instruction. It was uh, written, it was uh, built as, uh, according to the pattern. And so that's Solomon's temple right there. You'll notice that there's no necessarily you know, boundaries as far as Gentiles or women go. But here's Herod's temple. Herod's temple took decades to build. And if you can see it, I don't know if you can see it from where you're seated, but you'll notice that there is a woman's courtyard that is a little bit outside, you know, the main sanctuary. That's as far as they could go. That's as far as they can go. And then you go into the next section, and that would be where the Jewish men can go, and the priests. The men would be on the right, the priests would be on the left where it says altar. As a matter of fact, if you go to the next slide, it kind of gives you the, the same thing. Again, women's courtyard is as far as they could go. Then you have the priest's courtyard, and you have the Israelites' courtyard. So the men would be there more on the right side, right? But you'll notice in this illustration that there's the Gentiles' courtyard. Think about that. And there, if you were to go to Israel today, you would see the Western Wall, this huge wall. It's a huge retaining wall. And that's all it is. It's on that side of the temple. And what you find is that the Gentiles, they could not even enter on to the Temple Mount. We're talking about a separation that is visual right there. And when Jesus Christ died on that cross, that wall, those walls, all those walls of separation were broken down. You see, and, and what, God, what God is really doing, you guys, because when we're talking about Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles are all other races. What God is doing is God is bringing a unity to uh, the, the whole wide world and especially the church. You know, it's interesting. When you were to go there in those days, there was a sign that warned the Gentiles of the death penalty for going beyond that barrier that we just saw. The Jewish historian Josephus, he made note of it, and archaeologists have discovered the inscription from Herod's temple, and it says this, No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Imagine that separation like that. And this was the reality of when Paul's writing to the Ephesians, that was the world that they were living in. The Jews against the Gentiles, the Gentiles against the Jews, the races against races. If you study history, you will find that throughout history, all the different nations had their local deities, their own gods. 
They said, he's mine, and there was this separation around every single one of them. But God broke down those barriers, including the barrier of the women. Well, this is as far as the women can go. Oh, no, not anymore. You read the book of Galatians. I think it's chapter 3, verse 28. And God says, no more Jew, no more Gentile, no more slave, no more you know, boss, no more, uh, uh, no more male and female. Not that he's obliterated the distinctions, but there is no longer any spiritual advantage and there is no longer any divisions. And this is what God is trying to establish. Well, well, Manny, how did he do it? Well, we'll start with the church. We'll start with the church. And basically what God has done, if I could just give you an illustration, and some of you guys are probably um, think it's a silly illustration, but maybe some of you can understand. Um, there is this basketball player that I did not like. He bugged me. He bugged me. Any of you guys heard of that guy named Patrick Beverly? Yeah, he, he bugged me. I mean, he's such a tenacious, just bug. When, <laughs> I'm serious, man. And, you know, he talks smack and all that kind of stuff. It's all, you know, trying to get in your head in the game, right? And so yeah, I would say in basketball land, okay, just basketball land, I hated the dude, okay? Because he, especially when he played the Lakers, right? But you know what happened? He became a Laker. <laughs> they put him on my team. <laughs> and so now that he's on my team, I no longer, you know, hate him. I, I love him, <laughs> And it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight, especially in the church. But really, it's, it goes beyond those barriers. You know, one of the things you guys got to understand, and I pray that there's no division in our church in any way, that, you know, you know these things, and we're going to jet through the rest of it here, but, but it's kind of like my knee right here. Um, I injured my knee on the first day of vacation. And so um, I'm, I'm, ever since then, I've been talking to a lot of people. A lot of people got knee injuries, huh? A lot of, how many of you here have knee injuries? A couple of you do, right? And uh, I noticed there's a great need in our church. And so um, <laughs> anyways, imagine if I took a hammer Imagine if I took a hammer and boom, I just smashed my knee. Imagine if I did that because I didn't like my knee. Okay? Oh, I don't like your knee. Something about your roundness and your hardness and the way that you bend. I don't like you. And so you smash it, right? All right? You might think that you're doing damage to the knee, but you know what? Because of the fact that we're one, I'm doing damage to me. You see how it works, you guys? That's the way it is. See, God, by his blood, he put us into the church, and now we're one. And so if God has made us one, God made the Jews and the Gentiles one, then we have to make sure that we enter into that. Look what he says in verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that, that word enmity it is, means hatred. So he abolished in his flesh the hatred, that is the law of commandments, combined in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, 
and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. You know, when I came in today, I was so blown away with all the decorations, man. Thank you, those of you who worked so hard yesterday in your labor of love. I love the way it looks, huh? And the reason for the decorations is because we're getting ready to celebrate the fact that God became flesh. And God became flesh, number one, to walk amongst us, to kind of find out what's it really like being human so that he can help us. Number two, he came, you know, and flesh to teach us, right? The greatest words ever taught. But, but number three, and probably the most important thing is God came in flesh to die for us, to die for us. And when he died on that cross, all those rules and regulations that separated the Jews from the Gentiles were done. That law of enmity, all those ordinances were nailed to the cross. And now he creates a new man or a new humanity, literally is what it says. And so the Gentiles don't become Jews and the Jews don't become Gentiles No, now it's a new humanity. It's this new church that God is making. And this is what we see. He put to death thereby the enmity. You know, something that we need to be careful of, you guys, is the division in the church, but not just the division in the church, the division in the world. You know, recently, and and we're seeing it, you know, um, I don't know how you guys feel, but I pray that you would have cultivate this heart that that God has. Recently, the United States of America, they played Iran in in World Cup soccer, right? And and I wonder like how people were processing that, you know, because a lot of times what ends up happening is Americans don't like Iranians. And sometimes American Christians don't like Arabs. Sometimes Christians don't like sinners. What happened? Is that the way God is? We were, we were so far, so far, And God brought us near by the blood. God brought us near by dying for us. You know, there's an interesting passage in Matthew 24, verse 12. I want to share it with you. Um, It says, and because lawlessness will abound, the, the love of many will grow cold. And that's a really interesting passage. You know, some people believe that what this means is because lawlessness will abound, that, you know, that the church is just going to kind of go with the world and, you know, just kind of like fade away. But, but more than likely, that's not what this means. Um, more than likely, what this means is the world is going to get so bad, lawlessness will abound, the world is going to get so bad, And Christians will not love those who are bad. Because lawlessness will abound, it says the love of many. Now that word love in the Greek, it's agape. 
It's agape love. It's something that only Christians can do. And what ends up happening is you fight. You can't, you don't, you don't end up separating the sinner from the sin. And we don't have the, the, the DNA, the love, the beauty of God who loves everyone. Everyone. But you hate that person and you hate that person and you and what you're doing in, in, in that is you are you're fulfilling Matthew 24, 12. It's something that's going to really be predominant in the tribulation period, but we're getting there. See, when we're talking about the oneness, there is, of course, the church, but there is more to it than that. You guys, we have to understand, it doesn't mean you can't call them out. It doesn't mean that you can't challenge them. It doesn't mean even necessarily that you can't criticize them because we all have to be able to, you know, Try to share the truth, but we got to do it in love. And so God here, what he does is so amazing. Uh, in, in verse, uh, where are we? Verse uh, 17, it says, And he came near, and he preached peace to you who were afar off, that's, that's the Gentiles, and to those who were near. And so we read in verse 18, For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. And so there you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, how we have access, we can pray to God. And so we read in verse 19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And here we see how now, what a work God has done, you know. One of the things that I've noticed, and you read the book of Revelation, I can't remember the exact verse, you can ask me for it later, but it's in chapter 21. And did you guys know that when we go to heaven, that the nations will bring their glory into heaven? Did you guys know that? So you're like, well, what does that mean? The nations will bring their glory into heaven. You know what that means? That means that... Um, there's still like the ethnic diversity. In heaven, there will still be salsa. <laughs> in heaven, there will still be, you know, ramen. I mean, in heaven, there will still be, you know, pizza, like I've mentioned to you before. There will still be that ethnic diversity. And by the way, I want to make sure I don't forget the church hasn't replaced Israel. Israel is still a nation that God is dealing with and giving promises to, right? But, you know, there is that diversity. And so right here in verse 19, we read the fact that we're no longer strangers and foreigners, but we're actually fellow citizens with the saints. So there's this, this country that Hebrews 11 talks about that we're going to be, you know, with them in that. But not only country, we're members of, of the household of God, and that means that we're, we're family. We're family. And so I, I really do encourage you. Um, one of the beautiful things is when you come across another believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that there's this instant unity because of the fact that we're family. Let there be no divisions here across the aisle, or you're like, I don't know about that person, they kind of bug me. No, man, we're, we're family, and not just here in this church, but other churches, other denominations that are gospel-preaching churches. 
We got to make sure that we have that heart. Right here, it says we're of the same country. We're of the same family. Verse 20, it says, through ministry, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You're like, well, how is it working? Well, there's this church, there's this building that's being built on the foundational truths of the apostles, which, by the way, that's what this New Testament is. Every single 27 books of the New Testament is apostolically linked. And so we have this foundation of the apostles, of course, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. That was the most important uh, stone of all. It was the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation and all of these stones would then be set around it. But then it's interesting because if you read 1 Peter 2, 4 through 8, it says that each one of you were all another stone that's being part, being built on this building. And you're like, well, what's the building for? And the building is so that God would dwell in us. You know, there's something special when a church gathers together. You know, Matthew 18 says, when two or three gather together in my name. You know what Jesus said, right? I'm there in the midst of them. You know, this is this building. It's a beautiful thing. May we never forget that God inhabits the praises of his people, that God is here amongst us. And not just when we gather together as a church. There's something special about that. May we never forget that. May we never see our gatherings on a Sunday or a midweek service or whatever it is. Like, you're, hey, you're going over there and we're doing, we're getting together because of Jesus. May we never take that lightly. God meets us here. But not just that, he lives in us. He lives in us. And that's what we read right here. Notice what we read in verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And it's just a beautiful thing, what God has done in my life. There was a time when I was dead in my sin, where I was in bondage to the things of this world. I was in prison, and I could not escape. But then one day, Jesus Christ, he came by his blood, he set me free. When Paul's writing to the Ephesians, he's saying the same thing. You guys were so far. You're so far. But now you've, brought, you've been brought so near, so near, that God lives in you. Has that rocked your world? Has that reached your heart? If God would reconcile Jews and Gentiles, should we not allow him to reconcile us? I pray that we would. 
You're like, but Manny, Manny, they, they wronged me. Manny, they're in the wrong. It reminds me of a time Warren Wiersbe said that a guy came to him and he said he needed marriage counseling. He, he said he needed uh, recancellation. Recancellation. And, and Warren Wiersbe said, recancellation? Oh, you mean reconciliation? And, and he said, yeah. But, but then Warren Wiersbe thought about it and he said, well, that's kind of though how reconciliation happens is you cancel those sins and you recancel them and you recancel them. Because the same God who has, I mean, you think about it, I mean, who are we to hold those sins against that fellow believer when God doesn't hold those sins against them? And so we need to make sure that we have that understanding, because God has done so much to bring us close to him and to reconcile those who are so far away, man, we can't even begin to fathom the, the separation between Jew and Gentile. And so this is the thing. I, I pray we would know this. Let me, let me close uh, with a story I read in France some years ago. Some soldiers, they brought a body of their dead comrade to a French cemetery uh, to be buried. It was a church cemetery. And so the minister came out and told them that he was bound to ask if their comrade had been baptized as one of their members. And they said, wow, we don't know if he was baptized by your church. He, he's a believer in Christ, but we don't know that. And so the minister responded, sadly, I'm very sorry, but in that case, we just can't permit him to be buried inside the church cemetery. Th those are, are the rules. And so the soldiers, they took their friend's body, and sadly, they walked outside, and they buried him on the other side of the fence. The next day, they came back to make sure that the grave was all right because they wanted to set a stone. And to their astonishment, they, they couldn't find it. And so they, they searched and they searched, but they couldn't find any trace of that freshly dug soil. And, and so they had nothing but to leave bewildered. And as they were leaving, the minister came up to them and said, oh, don't leave yet. I, I couldn't sleep last night. My heart was troubled because we didn't allow your friend to be buried here in the churchyard. And so early this morning, we got up out of bed and we came here to the cemetery and we moved the fence to include the body of your friend in our churchyard. You see, and in one sense, that's what Jesus has done. All the laws, all the rules, all the regulations. We could never make it. But what did he do by dying on a cross? He moved the fence. And he just said, hey, come by faith, my blood. I love you. And I can wash away your sins. And if I love you, and if I've reconciled you to myself, my prayer, God's heart, is that we would be reconciled to one another. And so, Lord, I thank you for your love and grace. I pray that we would have your heart. 
Lord, I pray more than anything else, Father, that if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, Lord, that you would bring them into that personal relationship with you. They would say, yes, uh, Jesus, I need you. I've sinned. I turn from my sin. And today I trust you as my Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that you would bless our time as uh, we partake of communion together. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would have your hand upon every person here. Lord, you know their struggles. And even, Lord, I, I pray if there's any uh, things separating us, Lord, any, any division, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, mend that. You give us wisdom, Lord, and how to take steps uh, to bring about, Lord, a reconciliation. And I pray, Lord, if there's uh, anyone here hurting, thinking about that family, Lord, that, you know, oh, Lord, this beautiful young man who took his life. Father, I pray if there's anyone here struggling with depression or anxiety or even suicidal thoughts, Lord, that today uh, they would know that you're their hope and that you're their God that you would strengthen them. And so we love you, Lord. Show us, Lord, how to even search our own hearts that we can be in right relationship with you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, you know, sometimes when I pray, I don't know if you guys ever do this, but I pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And that's about how specific I get. <laughs> and... I want to encourage you guys, when you do ask for forgiveness, ask God to show you those areas of your life that maybe we can improve on, areas that maybe we've fallen short. Psalm 139 says, search me, God. Know me. Try me. You know, let God show you those areas that need to be surrendered to him today. And then as we partake of communion, man, you can just say, Lord, I'm giving them all to you. Searching my heart. Um, because we really want to make sure that we do business with God.